and welcome to the latest episode of Glad Tidings with me, Greg O'Keefe and Patty Boyland. Well, let's get straight into it, Pad. It's never dull around Everton at the moment, is it? We've had a really sort of rare thing to celebrate on Saturday in three points and uh, a magic afternoon for Duncan. And then almost 48 hours later, it feels as if, not that it never happened, but we're back in the maelstrom, aren't we? We're trying to decide who's going to be the next Everton manager. Um, what have you made the last couple of days? Well, the, it's interesting what you say because the, the story is basically always changing and it's always kind of rumbling along. So we've only just come up for air, I feel, after kind of the analysis of Duncan and what he inspired within the players, what he inspired within the Goodison crowd. And already it feels like a little bit we're looking beyond him now and, and to what is going to happen permanently in terms of Marco Silva's successor as, as full-time Everton manager. If we take a step back, though, I, I think we do have to just enjoy and revel in the fact that we saw Goodison in a different vein, completely different vein to what we'd seen before. It was lively. Everybody felt united. Maybe it was a one-off performance in terms of intensity and the amount of tackles that went in and all that kind of stuff. But it was just great to, to be there and be part of that atmosphere. It was a fantastic atmosphere, a fantastic win as well. The kind of winner think that if Marco Silva had produced it and he'd been kind of clinging on for his job, this might have been seen as a big symbolic moment for him. It was almost like, look, we should give this guy more time. He's he's, he's pulled something out of the bag here. And that's what it felt like with Ferguson a little bit as well. He's, he, he pulled a rabbit out of the hat. So I was delighted for him. Uh, I, I know you will have been too. Delighted for him and delighted for some of those players as well because wasn't so long ago that Dominic Calvert-Lewin was being kind of packaged, I think unfairly, as, as this kind of championship striker in, in some quarters. Even after the Merseyside derby, that was the accusation um, from, from some fans. But he repays Ferguson's faith. Those two have got a great relationship as well. Two goals and a fantastic performance leading the line as, as a 22-year-old in, in the Premier League. So kind of lots to discuss from that, but of course as well lots to discuss with regards to a, a future Everton manager too. Yeah, but just a quick note before we move on on the former Everton manager. I think we've discussed and written about a lot about how Marco left the club and it was such a shame that it ended the way it did. But in the cold light of day, just to reflect again how brilliant it was on Saturday, um, I, I couldn't have seen Marco inspiring that or, or selecting the the tactics and the even team really that would have created that performance on Saturday uh, with the best will in the world after after Wednesday in the derby. I'm not sure he would have been able to do that. So uh, neither, neither am I, to be honest. You, you look at the formation as well. This wasn't a, a 4-2-3-1 or even a 4-3-3. It was a pretty conventional old school 4-4-2. Yeah. And I don't think Duncan necessarily reinvented the wheel. It wasn't because he, he only had one one session on the training ground. He had a video session as well, we're led to believe, and he spoke to the players on, on Friday evening before the game about what he expected tactically. And he, he didn't do anything because of the time constraints. I don't think he did anything kind of outlandish. It, it wasn't like he reinvented the wheel, as I say. It was more just, let's get back to basics, kind of fundamental principles, fight for those second balls, fight for each other, show the crowd that you're interested. And when we wrote about this the other day, uh, I, I one of the lines that I put in was that Goodison sometimes greets a, a thunderous tackle as something akin to a goal. It's obviously not quite a goal, is it? But I, th I think the point is that you can get people on side and on the terraces yeah, yeah, yeah. with that kind of blood and thunder approach. 
and it was it was fast paced. It was dynamic. They they disconcerted Chelsea as well. So um, you've got to give them a lot of credit for for coming up with that in sh- such a short space of time. Um, it, it might not have been particularly revolutionary, but he got the result, and and the result after all was. In, in a one-off game, as, as, as he saw it, we believe um, the result was everything. Yeah, and it'll be the sort of game at Goodison that you do, maybe maybe overstating it a little bit like, as an iconic game, but it'll certainly be very memorable. But we're now tasked with uh, another big fixture, obviously, at Old Trafford on Sunday. And I suppose the main question is, is what now? Do we, we, we think, as it stands, Duncan's likely to be in charge, don't we, on Sunday, from what we've been hearing earlier today and yesterday? Yeah, so obviously we, we're recording this podcast. The caveat here is it, it's Wednesday lunchtime, as, as we're recording on, on Merseyside. And Duncan took charge of a, of a training session in the morning, on Wednesday morning. The default position at this moment in time is that he is the interim boss. He may have only been told he was taking charge of one game, but if nothing changes, then he's the guy that's going to lead the team against uh, Manchester United at Old Trafford. I think there was a feeling that Everton were coming close to appointing, potentially appointing a new manager, and that it's Pereira, Vitor Pereira, yeah, the, um, the the Portuguese manager from Shanghai, um, who I think now has decided that he's going to take the money on offer <laughs> from Shanghai, around twenty million pounds, we're led to believe. And is a uh, is is set to rebuff Everton's interest. So that looks like it's not going to happen. Everton are going to have to pursue different targets, and that means that the chances of Ferguson being in charge in the dugout at Old Trafford on on Sunday have kind of risen exponentially, almost by default. That that's my understanding of it. Yeah, at least. yeah, same. I mean, I, I have a little bit of sympathy for Ferguson in, in this regard because. It's difficult to see how he tops Saturday in many ways. From what we understand, he doesn't want to be the permanent manager. And a lot of fans, understandably, after Saturday were saying, well, look, you could do a lot worse than appointing Duncan Ferguson as the interim uh, until the end of the season. I don't think from from what we're hearing, he wants that. I think he recognises that even, even that will be a bit too soon. And anyway, maybe it's in the short term as good as it gets for him on Saturday to take that squad which we may or may not hear has been even further hit by injuries, but certainly is still in a pretty poor shape with regards to key players missing out and replicate that type of performance again, this time away at Old Trafford with a slightly resurgent United. There's a massive ask um, and I'm not don't, don't want to sound pessimistic. It may well be that Duncan can do that again and it may well be that they can go and, or he can get a different tune out of them tactically, let's say, but the odds you would, you would think are stacked against him. Um, I would just hope that whatever happens on Sunday, really, it wouldn't. For me, it wouldn't burnish Duncan's reputation at all. No, I think that's got to be the one of the main considerations. That the, the first consideration, obviously, is that Everton Football Club get through this run of fixtures and and emerge relatively unscathed. But we do have to consider Duncan Ferguson in this, and he was told it would only be one game. I think in in his eyes, he, I think he was expecting somebody like Vitor Pereira to yeah. come in to take charge of that game against Manchester United. And you can get a tune from players. You can get that bounce in a, in a one-off scenario. You may even be able to get it over two, three, four games. But I think the risk here is that Duncan has been somebody that's been on the first team coaching staff, has never really had the reins. And we, we don't believe he, he will want to manage Everton one day anyway. Oh, without but, a doubt, yeah, he does. Yeah. But I, I don't think he believes that this is the time no. to do it and he, he would need to cut his teeth. I think the, the idea probably would have been something along the lines of 
cut your teeth as a number two, learn the ropes yeah. under a top coach, and then move on from there. Yeah. And very quickly, he's being thrust into the limelight. It's a little, it's a little bit like, imagine if four of Everton's centre-halves get struck down or four of Everton's central midfielders get struck down and all of a sudden you're throwing in a lad who's never played the Premier League game. It's, it's that kind of scenario. And my question here is, what comes next if Duncan Ferguson takes charge mm-hmm. at Old Trafford? What comes next tactically? Because that approach, that awesome up-and-atom approach where you're feeding off the energy of the crowd and in turn they're feeding off what you're giving them. That's not going to be there at Old Trafford. You're not going to be able to do that. I mean, it's, it, at the best of times, it tends to be quite a quiet stadium, yeah, yeah, given, yeah. given the, um, even given the, um, the kind of the 80,000 capacity or whatever it is now. Um, so you probably have to deviate from that blueprint that brought success against Chelsea. Some of the principles may remain, but do you play 4-4-2 and risk being outnumbered in midfield? Can you match that intensity again in such a short space of time? What do you do if the crowd is not feeding into the whole kind of the melting pot? There are so many questions here and it almost feels as though if Everton Everton were to go away and let's say Duncan Ferguson takes charge and they lose 3-0 to what you've deemed to be a resurgence Manchester United side, I, I tend to agree with that. It almost feels as though that might be held against them like it was with David Unsworth to a certain extent when it comes to choosing managers and assistant managers some way down the line. I don't think anybody wants that, but Ferguson is the kind of guy, if Everton need him, he's always going to answer that call, isn't he? He, he loves the club and he puts the club first. Yeah. I, I think we should, just, we should just bear in mind that this is a guy as well that, that will have his eye on, on future prizes as well. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I suppose as well, the interesting thing is like even if we accept he's not going to be the next permanent manager, we we understand he, he's interested in more of a role than he had previously, which was very limited under Marco Silva. You know, he was kind of relegated to some relatively menial tasks. He wasn't really allowed into that inner circle of the Portuguese staff that Marco had. And I think that was quite frustrating for him. But if we say that he'd like to be an assistant, I still feel it's, it's a difficult one because some of the names that we're, we've been discussing today, you know, and, and last night... In the wake of Pereira ruling himself out, your Ancelotti's, and we'll go into this in more depth in a minute, um, aren't necessarily going to come in and accept having an assistant um, thrust upon them. Uh, so, or, or even if you, not even Ancelotti, for example, but say another foreign coach, where it might work was if, for example, David Moyes came back as an interim and, and Duncan worked with him. But there's still so many question marks over that that element of our future, isn't there? A load of question marks and. Like we said at the at the top of the pod, Vitor Pereira was the one that was being bandied about in circles close to Mashiri. He was the was the guy that I think Everton at one point thought they were about to hire. So that they they thought they had him. They thought a, a two and a half year deal. I think it was it was on the cards. Pereira himself initially seemed to be interested, and it does feel as though they're slightly playing catch up now. Yep. With regards to the the new manager search. It, it's interesting what you mentioned about Carlo Ancelotti there because I think Carlo Ancelotti is, is probably the kind of guy that would be his own assistant manager and it's the same with quite, quite a few others. So so where that leaves Duncan Ferguson in the equation, if it's not, say, David Moyes, is, is, is very much up for debate. And I think taking another step back, one of the questions we've always had has been, from, from supporters, this is, has been, what does Duncan Ferguson do 
if he's been a key part under successive managers, then he's been part of the problem almost by implication. And if he's not being involved, then what's he doing and why is he being kept on? And I think it, it must it, it's been hard almost to reflect the position. It's changed from manager to manager. Yeah. Like you say, under under Marco, it, you had that Portuguese group that would largely com- communicate in Portuguese. Yeah. Duncan would, would be involved, but I don't think he was involved to the extent he would have wanted. No. Under, say, Roberto Martinez. Roberto brought him in, but Duncan didn't play a, a massive role behind the scenes there. Koeman kind of so-so again. And under Sam, Sam Allardyce, he, 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 he did take training sessions. He did have an input in, into team selection, we believe. But you, c- you can hardly make the case of this guy being the, like, say, the Mikel Arteta to, no. yeah, he's, to, to well, Pep exactly. Guardiola. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> I, I still feel as though we, we saw something fantastic. We, we, we saw something that I think I will remember those celebrations on the Goodison touchline for a long, long time. It felt like we'd reconnected with Everton. But it does still feel as though we almost need to take that step back and appreciate that this is still a journey for Ferguson himself. Yeah. And he's still the one that's gonna have to he's gonna have to cut his teeth, work under managers, and work his way up in a similar vein to what we'd have expected from, say, David Unsworth if if he'd taken the job. So um at the moment I still feel as though there are a few more questions than answers. That's where we are as of Wednesday yeah. lunchtime. No, no, <laughs> well speaking of questions, um we we've already mentioned a certain arched eyebrow Italian. He was Sacked last night by Napoli after securing progress <laughs> in the Champions League. Nevertheless, that was the um, the fate that befell the former Chelsea and Real Madrid um, manager. Now by Munich as well. I mean, what a CV that guy's got. I'll ask you two questions, but I want your opinion on whether or not you you think he would choose Everton. And then we can discuss whether or not we think at this stage, given your earlier caveat that it's Wednesday lunchtime, whether or not he's a serious contender for the job. Do you think it, it, he he would come to Everton? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, have, I'll, I'll give my opinion as well, I'll be honest, you know, but let's start with that. It will be largely dependent on a variety of factors. So first question, is Carlo Ancelotti himself needing to take a step back from football after what we believe was a pretty tempestuous spell at Napoli? where the owner was waging war on the players, the players... This is De Laurentiis, this is the, uh, the owner they've got Aurelio there. Aurelio De Laurentiis, yeah, yeah. Um, very combustible figure. The players themselves fought back against De Laurentiis. <laughs> yeah. Ancelotti was kind of in the middle. And as we understand it, there's still the <laughs> relatively big matter of compensation yeah. to agree um, with regards to that particular severance. So that's the first thing. The second is that it will then depend on which other clubs, I think, around Europe and the world are showing an interest in Carlo Ancelotti. Arsenal's been raised already in gossip columns and on the back pages of of certain media outlets. Our understanding from our colleague David Ornstein is that Arsenal are looking for a different profile at this moment in time. I think they're, they're prepared to bide their time to get the next Arsene Wenger, in quotation marks. Carlo Ancelotti doesn't seem to fit into that. So almost by a process of elimination, I think you move Carlo Ancelotti, if he wants a job in football, to the realisation that Everton has to become at least an option in, in, in some 
in some ways. Then the other question here is, is Carlo Ancelotti the man for a project led by Farhan Mashiri and Marcel Brands? I, I don't necessarily think, for example, Marcel Brands and Carlo Ancelotti have the same philosophy when it comes to a lot of things. I, I, I think Marcel himself would, would normally look to appoint a younger coach that's kind of looking to get to the top, is on the way up. Carlo Ancelotti has been at the top already. Yeah. Um, and and in many ways is 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 going to have to look for his next step, his next his next move. What, what do you what do you think on this? Do you, do you think he's somebody that would consider Everton? Yeah, you you've you've raised some of the things that I said. I certainly think are pertinent, and it's it's now come into sharper focus since Silver's gone, isn't it? That you know, from what we understand, Brands and Silver had a good relationship, and um, Brands was one of the key people urging them to give him time and be patient. It didn't work out like that. And I think he was pretty, I wouldn't, wounded sounds melodramatic, but, you know, he's a very sort of pragmatic, professional guy. He's been there, he's seen it all, but he was unhappy that it ended the way it did yeah. and would have given him more time. Yeah. And now he's faced with being involved in the search for the next manager and he will have to be thinking about a sort of coach that he wants to work with. And as you say, does a, an Ancelotti or throwing it to, to David Moyes, are they the type of managers who will want to work with a director of football, first and foremost? Are they the type of managers that he would want to work with? And he has appointed in the past, um, I think when he was at AZ in Holland, I think he appointed Martin Yoll. But then generally his appointments, I think it was Philippe Koku, wasn't it? Yeah. At PSV, yeah. have been the younger, hungrier managers. So, um, yeah, beating around the bush a bit, but it doesn't kind of immediately strike me as something that would be one that brands would, would fancy. At the same token, he's director of football, responsible for Everton's football operations and ultimately success. And if he, understandably, given his CV, decided, and after hearing the right things, maybe if, if her approach goes in, yeah, you know, this guy, I mean, he's the best candidate. He's done it here, he's done it there. He understands, which is another important thing, that it's going to have to be potentially based on what Marco was doing, which was buying younger players or, or what Marco and Brands did, which was buying younger players, the resale value, if that is even still the, the plan, the sustainable pl the, the plan that they were following. So there's so many interminables as ever with Everton at the moment. It's very difficult to say, but lastly, would he consider Everton? I think you're right. I think there's not that many other options. It will be interesting. We, we believe he loved living in London from, yeah. from all accounts. It would be interesting if West Ham's owners decided, aye, aye, uh, right, we might expedite our decision with uh, Pellegrini, got rid and, and, and went and said, look, come and have a, back to where you were living in the Mayfair, wherever it was, and come and get yourself back under the, 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 the capital table rather than coming up to the uh, the nasty northwest. I don't know. Um, it's mixed messages coming out of uh, East London, aren't they, whether or not they're going to stick with Pellegrini or yeah. not. Probably a little bit like coming out of Liverpool last week with Silva, so... It's a very long-winded way of saying who knows, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but would I would I like him from the current sort of list that we know of? I think it would be an intriguing choice. It'd be a quite an inspiring choice, as long as we felt that he he still was really hungry. And you mentioned the word project, but yeah, still really hungry to build something, achieve something, rather than wanting to go in and just come into a club where it's all already there. Because uh, it's not really already there, is it? It's no, still, you know, absolutely far not. from it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from the playing the, the the team onwards, really.
the, the funny the funny thing about this as well is is that you look at the list of candidates yeah and i think it is fair to say that carlo ancelotti is is the best qualified in terms of cv in terms of pedigree and what he's done we we've already said that maybe stylistically he's not somebody that would be um an easy bedfellow for for marcel brands yeah potentially but of all the names that are thrown out there, you start with Pereira, who's ruled himself out. Mm-hmm. Carlo Ancelotti, David Moyes, there've been reports of Jardim, mm-hmm. the Monaco manager, uh, several others. Unai Emery, who we, we reported on the site uh, on Tuesday, had met with Fahad Mashiri yep. and Bill Kenwright last week. There's no pattern there. No. Not in terms of managerial style. I mean, Moyes and Ancelotti would be chalk and cheese. Imagine the difference between, say, Moyes and Unai Emery. Vitor Pereira was kind of a, a, a build-from-the-back kind of guy, but he, he would also press to a certain extent. He was quite flexible in formations. And I think we might just be at a point now where we're at a little bit of a crossroads. What does this mean for modern Everton? What do modern Everton want to be? I think they have kind of known what they've wanted to be over the last few years, but haven't executed it particularly well. Yeah, And now... We are at another crossroads where it's it's like we could get a David Moyes or we could get Carlo Ancelotti or Unai Emery's in the picture. And you almost have to then mould your blueprint to fit around the manager rather than the other way around. That's, that's just the way it seems to me from the candidates that are mentioned and the ones that are bandied about. There doesn't seem to be a, a, a massive th- through flow in terms of who's oh, who's know, in the frame. I know, I know. I was waiting for the candidate to emerge, uh, and I still perhaps am, a, a brands-sourced and led candidate whose name might not be a household A-lister, whether he's been working in Bundesliga or in, I don't know, Belgium or... Holland. Yeah, or yeah. Holland, who's the next, and I, I, I keep saying this, but the next Nagelsmann or... The next Pochettino, for example, and I know we've been linked with Gallardo, but again, I think preferably someone who's been working in Europe. Um, at the moment, there's a lot of talk about like someone who needs Premier League experience, but there's not that many of those knocking around that exactly get your heart fluttering with excitement, are there? So, <laughs> it's as ever, it's not very straightforward, is it? No, it's it it's not, and this is a big decision. It's a decision they have to get right, and I think I'd like to just draw a parallel with Arsenal because. What we've been told from our colleagues in North London is that they are prepared to bide their time with this and they are prepared to get it right. And if that means Freddie Lundberg gets six, eight, ten, even twelve games, even until the end of the season, dare I say it, to to kind of stamp his own claim on that on that permanent job, then I think they seem like they're prepared to to take that. Mm. We've spoken about the difficulties here in learning lessons from the past. So for example, you've had the sacking of Ronald Koeman, mm. his dismissal that eventually in a roundabout way led to Sam Allardyce. Everton clearly don't want that to happen again. No. So they're kind of between a little bit of a rock and a hard place here because if they don't get somebody imminently and Ferguson picks up a few bad results, then fans will get on their backs for that. Yeah. But equally, they have to make sure this appointment is right, like we said last week on the pod, because exactly. they're still precariously placed. Yeah. They're still in a situation where they could quite easily end up in a relegation battle. Mm. And they're at a point now where there's the squad has been patched together by so many different managers that it doesn't really resemble anything yet, it, stylistically. So if you had another failed manager on top of that, say say 
say now that he's, he's ruled out, say Vitor Pereira had taken the job and had been sacked within six months. There's nothing to suggest that would have happened, but say he had. He'd have brought in his own players, probably in January. He might have brought in his own players in the summer. And then you've got players potentially then playing under, say, a David Moyes or Carlo Ancelotti six months down the line. And that that's the problem, really, isn't it? Because other sides, even Chelsea, who, who have been under a transfer ban, have kind of looked at the resources at the disposal and gone, right, we need to invest in young players now. Here's this expansive brand of football fits what they're doing. Frank Lampard's the kind of guy that's going to implement it. And I think that joined up thinking is something that we're still maybe lacking at this moment in time. And that's why I think you can have all the money in the world as a football club. Everton don't have all the money in the world, by the <laughs> way. But you could have all the money in the world. But if you don't make right decisions and the pathways aren't clear, the chain of command isn't perhaps clear, then I think you end up running the risk of making the same mistakes time after time. So I, I am also slightly sympathetic. What I'm saying here is I am also slightly sympathetic to Everton with regards to getting this right yeah. to, to yeah. biding their time speaking to available candidates they might have had a discussion last week with Unai Emery and decided he's not the guy but at least they've had that discussion at least they're kind of sounding out guys who I consider to have some sort of pedigree at the, the highest level <laughs> what what comes next then? I think I think if in in many ways to a neutral David Moyes would on an interim basis would, would make sense however there's two things that the neutral wouldn't necessarily be so well-versed in. It's firstly the amount of ill-feeling in the fan base about the prospect of David Moyes coming back with all the baggage after he left um, and the question mark of whether he's, whether he's the same manager. Uh, secondly, what we understand is his reluctance to take an interim role and pushing for a long-term role, which I think would get engender even more ill-will among the fan base. And I would certainly understand why you wouldn't necessarily want the, your next permanent manager to be the guy who, who left 2013 after 11 years, arguably haven't taken him as far as he could, it, you know, that would be um, a difficult one to reconcile. So what you said there about the possibility, perhaps, of Ferguson being asked to go on and on could well come to pass. Or do they have an interim for their interim? Because, again, it's a, it's a small side point. But don't forget, for Saturday, Ferguson had to basically strip the under-23s staff out. Yeah. Now, what happens when the under-23s? Are they playing next week? Are they playing this week? Well, they, they actually played on Monday night. So th- <laughs> so I would imagine Ebrill and the likes uh, reverted back to type. I think it was more on David Unsworth. I think it was more on David Unsworth. But you do raise an interesting point because in the same way as an under-23 a bit, three player being promoted up to the first team grants an opportunity to an under 18 player to go into under 23s here you've got unsworth staff working alongside ferguson so where does that leave david unsworth if they then promote up from the under 18s then they have to bridge the gap lower down and the knock-on effects of inactivity for example um could be not severe as such but 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 could be kind of felt quite keenly felt so that, that rock in the hard place analogy, I think, is basically where Everton are at this moment in time. You bite the bullet and you appoint somebody too soon, then you run the risk of repeating the cycle at mm. some point down the line. You'd like them to do due diligence. You don't want them to just jump into bed with the first manager that mm. kind of flutters his eyelashes. Yeah. Uh, um, Farhad Mashiri and Marcel Brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But equally, the, the more uncertainty there is with, say, a Duncan Ferguson, the less... Um, stability we have lower down the club as well so that 
that's the problem, isn't it? Do you think they might look at it and say, ask Duncan to get them through the next two games. Whatever happens on Sunday happens at Old Trafford. We've explained or, or we've discussed why we think that's going to be difficult. And then maybe replicate what he did on Saturday at Goodison on Wednesday for a win, you know, win or bust cup tie. And then I think after that, it briefly gets in inverted commas easier if you can call Arsenal easy, but at least it's at Goodison and then Burnley on Boxing Day. Um, then again, it steps up again then. I mean, Newcastle, is a, you know, you don't know what, what to make of Newcastle, moment, but then Man City is hardly an easy game at any time. So I wonder if they'll, if they'll at least give themselves the prospect that Duncan will be in charge for the next two. The interesting thing there is that we do know that they are still behind the scenes trying to get to a point where they can appoint a permanent successor as soon as possible to Silva. So I think it's quite a fluid dynamic and one that could change quite quickly if, if they get the candidate they, they're after, that they want and that they believe in. That being said, the fact that Ferguson got a tune from the players, as, as we've mentioned, that the players fought for him, that the players executed his game plan, even in a one-off scenario, means that I think there'll be a little bit more patience with regards to that pursuit. It's not, yeah. it's not like, say, say Ferguson lost 3-0 against Chelsea. Then I think there would have been a mad scramble. He couldn't effectively have taken that game against Manchester United because his record had already been tarnished. A win, at least, it gives him some more credibility. It means that the the hierarchy, you would assume, would be more keen to, to give him a little bit of leeway. I still think the default position is that Everton are trying as best they can to get somebody in as soon as possible. And if that happens, then Duncan Ferguson will obviously be relieved of his duties as interim manager. So that's that's my understanding of the situation. But it is quite fluid. It, it really is quite fluid. And um, as they speak to managers, as they put the, the Pereira snub, which they didn't expect to come behind them, I think it is now about quickly getting clarity on on what happens next and, and who they really want to take over, to be honest, because if, if he was the, the top target, as we're led to believe, then surely they'd just go to the next name down on that shortlist and they see if he wants If only it was that straightforward. <laughs> I'm casting myself as a mini Marcel Brands here, when in fact I am far from it. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening, as ever. We will be back, no doubt, soon to discuss the next twists and turns in this uh, managerial search. We... Really appreciate it. you listening in. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the, the few episodes we've done so far. Make sure you subscribe to Athletic now. Get loads more great articles. And you can hear all 11 of our brand new podcasts. Um, David Ornstein, our colleague, is right across everything that happens at Arsenal, which has feels like it's got a bit of a symbiosis with Everton at the moment, yeah. doesn't it? You know, it, there's Absolutely. lots of um, overlap, particularly with our majority investor, you know, not long but being uh, on one of the major shareholders there. So, um David is well worth uh, listening to. Uh, I think you were on it on Monday, weren't you? I was, given the given the latest on yeah. on Everton's managerial search, and a couple of days down the line, we're we're doing the same again. We'll continue to do the same until there's a a resolution. There have there have been some good. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the podcast as as a whole. I I quite like. I'm I'm into the tactics, and I'm I'm in, intrigued by Michael Cox Cox's zonal marking one. But it's just it's good to have that range of options, isn't it? And if you if you want to hear what's going on at Arsenal or or any of the other clubs, there's a Leeds podcast, a Leeds podcast, actually really good. Listen to it the other day, Phil Hayes podcast. So 
I, I do I do recommend checking those out. Um, even if you just want a temporary break from from all things Everton, really. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you can get those by going to athletic.com uh, and entering the code EvertonPod. It'll get you a subscription with forty percent discount. Uh, never a bad thing with Christmas shopping lists on the horizon. Yep. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back with you soon. Thank you.